Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. How does a music mad young man from Maher Felton Derry become one of the most influential music figures to ever come out of Ireland? Well, we are about to find out because he has finally penned a brilliant new memoir detailing his incredible career as one of the world's leading music agents. He's over the past 40 years or so worked with the biggest names in the business, managing the careers of people like Van Morrison, The Kinks, Rory Gallagher, Elvis Costello. I could go on through his successful agency, Asgard. The memoir is titled Adventures in Wonderland and it's been described as a must read for Irish music fans full of antidote insight and heart it's been published by Hot Press and it's hitting bookshops tomorrow I'm thrilled to have music agent promoter manager and he's a successful novelist as well Paul Charles he's on the line Paul how are you getting on? I'm good Shane how are you? I'm great I'm great so you're calling into the oh so glamorous world of uh, becoming a music promoter and agent and everything else began when you were quite a resourceful teenager I believe using a nearby uh, public telephone to conduct your business Yes yes indeed that, that was um, that was my office in the day uh, and it was kind of it was well it was actually it was definitely funny um, where you kind of People will be walking, walking past the phone box, the phone will be ringing, and they'd say, oh, there, uh, is Paul there? They'd say, no, hang on, you have to wait a minute, so then send somebody down to walk down through the houses to get to your house. They would knock on the window and say, oh, there's a phone call for Paul, and they would say, yeah, it's okay, but he's having his tea, so they're going to have to ring back, and on the um, on the forest would go, and, uh, but yes, that's how it started. And I, I was happy that, to get it started. I love that. I can actually see that happening because a lot of we had a whole show there not that long ago actually talking about public telephones where people remember this stuff. So that's fantastic that you were conducting the business out of there. And, and do you remember who that first band was, Paul, that you were helping out at that stage? Oh yeah, no, no, definitely. It was a bunch of mates uh, called the Blues by Five um, and they were all really, they were all kind of, you know, just school friends, good mates and um, you know, I was the only one that I couldn't sing I couldn't play an instrument. My dad didn't have a car to ferry people around, so I, I wasn't passing on the basic qualifications for being in a group. But then I suddenly realised that there was a man that lived very near to me, and he played uh, saxophone in a show band. And so I went knocked on his door and asked him, was there any chance to get a couple of sports spots? He said, yes, of course, give me a couple. And then when I mentioned it to the band that we actually got these, he said, great, brilliant, uh, you're now the manager. I love it. So it was just that little bit of confidence that you had. And this was kind of the start of it all. And, you know, for me, like, say, 
I can recall uh, a day in the summer back when I was a teenager and I remember hearing Jimi Hendrix Purple Haze in my best friend's Ooh. front garden on CD, right? So that was the day that I was captivated by music. Music that didn't sound like anyone else that you were hearing on the radio, this kind of stuff. This moment sort of sticks out, you know. Do you remember what song or band stopped you in your tracks like that where you kind of thought, oh my God, there's a whole other world of music that I need to be listening to? Well, well, actually, it's, it's a good point, because in a way, um, it didn't, at that, at that point, I found that music was a wee bit like wallpaper. You know, if I liked it, I, could, I was okay with it, but if I didn't like it, it didn't, it didn't upset me. Um, it was just kind of there, there, there in the background. But I remember one morning, vividly, I went into uh, my mum's kitchen, and she was ironing away, uh, and she liked to spend time talking to me when she was ironing, because it made the time go by quicker. Uh, but anyway, when we were there, she was into um, Emil uh, Ford and the Checkmates, uh, listening out, waiting for them, and who should come on the radio with this new, exciting, vibrant, m- melodic, pleasing sound from, from four young lads from um, Liverpool called The Beatles. Amazing. And it did really just stop me in my tracks. Like, there was no other words for it. It was just unbelievable, so different. It was so new, it was so exciting, it was so pleasing that it just, that really swung me, and that was what I wanted to be involved in for the rest of my life and and luckily enough have been so far. And like you say, hadn't, you know, played anything, but you were so, so invested in this, you know, you dedicate your life to to it. So sort of, you know, what happened then after school? Because I think you were set for a career in engineering, I think, were you? Yeah, yeah. No, I was kind of, I was trained, well, I was, I was trained to be a civil engineer really as a way of getting myself over to London um, uh, to go to, you know, the uh, Twickenham College of Technology. So I kind of I was doing that really as a way to to get there, and, and that was a that was a process that, that I'd set up, you know, and and I, the, the idea was that I would kind of I would get you know some qualifications like that, if only to uh, re, re, you know reply to my parents or, or return to my parents the fact that they had invested all that time and energy and money uh, to get me an education, rather than kind of just appear to be going to to throw it away by by running after groups. So I was kind of doing that. Uh, you were placating the parents. Um, I love it, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and you kind of so it, it was. It was just really, you know, part of what part of was hap- what was happening, part of what was exciting. And as you said about the, the Hendrix incident, yeah. it all all was so new and exciting and a whole new world. I mean, you just, you know, up until then you just you'd heard music on the radio and that was it. But this kind of made it more more touchable if you want more kind of within the reach more that it was just there for you right in front of you you know yeah oh completely and you're you're totally immersed in that world and as you say London was kind of where it's at in terms of that and you know the writing as well was this something that you would always eventually pursue you know alongside the work you know you wrote the the reviews of gigs for Belfast magazine City Week so was that sort of were the two working hand in hand with each other uh, no, I, I mean, I think they were really, to be honest. I think that, that, that you know, it's kind of, it, you have that thing whereby you you kind of think, well, I can do this, and I, or I want to be able to do this, I'd like to try to be able to do this, and you kind of, you put yourself in a position that maybe that, that becomes possible, and you, and then obviously equally you see if it's something that does hold out possibilities or, or if you, you're really just dreaming and you, and, and you should let it go, you know. Um, but it was, I, I kind of equally found that it was very, it was very rewarding, both you know, not just visible, but very rewarding musically. Um, this whole new thing that came along, um, it was very, you know, something that kind of involved you totally. It kind of embraced you and pulled you into it, and, and again, would give you these great, great 
uh, rewards, you know, of buckets of pleasure of having this kind of thing that was quite special and quite magic. Yeah, oh, completely, completely. And then, you know, you, you, you end up not just sort of booking gigs for people, but you end up managing and even writing lyrics for a progressive rock group that you spent a couple of years with there, uh, Frupp. As one does, yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that, no, no, no. I mean, again, it was, well, fact, it was one of the one of the same mates out of out of the first group, the Blues by Five. He was a guitarist uh, in Frupp as well. Um, and again, it wasn't really the music of the day. Uh, but but the other slight problem we had was that not only that, but they were also out of time with themselves. And the fact that uh, I don't know if you remember, whenever the whenever the punk explosion happened, yeah, anybody who wasn't successful and had made the grade by that point was certainly not going to be successful until after the punk explosion, you know, mm. quietened down a bit because basically they were substituting all the oxygen out of the media. Uh, and so if you hadn't got attention for yourself by then, as we hadn't with with, with my band for up, um, you were never going to get it really and you were kind of going to be sidelined, if not... Uh, you know, indefinitely, then most definitely, you know, for for quite a bit of for quite a bit until the, you know, and the book, I think the punk thing as well lasted a lot longer than most people expected. Oh yeah. In fact, in fact, it evolved and developed into you know, like a new wave or or a certain you know different kind of uh, rockabilly music. You know, was all that, and and there was a kind of you know pub rock stuff going on as well. Um, so it kind of it was all I'd say it was very 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 exciting times. Um, and a very exciting time to be around as well, in terms of you know, being seeing all this stuff. And again, the other thing that that's easy easy to forget or important to remember is that really, when the punks started, the industry, our industry, really didn't want to know about them. They mm-hmm. really didn't. They kind of they they poo pooed them. They kind of put them down. They kind of you know you're too this, you're too that. You're not professional. You can't sing. You can't play your instruments. You know your instruments equipment break up, whatever, um, and they really didn't want to give them a chance, which is why at that point we ha- all had to go out and find a new circuit for them. We had to go to, you know, the the pubs that had an upstairs room that hadn't been used since the, the pub, pub rock bands were like Brindley Schwartz and people like that. Yeah, um, and you and, see, and, something like this then, you know, becomes more appealing for the youth and not only the oh, fact that oh, they are complete Yeah, anarchy. you're not kidding, you know, that's, yeah. that's a big thing. It's, it's kind of, it's the same with us. Uh, you know, when we were kind of coming through, our, our, our parents' music or our older siblings' music wasn't something we wanted to turn on to, mainly because it was the last generation's music, you know. Mm. Uh, and and, the, and the, the other thing about the, the punk thing that people forget is that they were they were a complete wave of, of people. I, what I'm saying is that not only did the word punk encompass musicians, mm. it also encompassed the audience. The audience and the musicians were all part of this punk movement, which meant that if you were in a Vericom as a punk band at that stage, you could just advertise that point in, in a back room in a bar or whatever, and people would, i.e., punks would turn up to see you because you were you were like you were like them. You were you were yeah. all part of that. You were speaking your language, their language as well. Yeah. Is, is 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 because <clears throat> because all of this happened and they they also had a fashion like all great movements. They had a fashion attached to themselves. But there were some amazing bands like yeah. you know the Undertones, the Buzzcocks, Clash, the Stranglers. No matter what, no matter if they were punks or weren't punks, they were all incredibly powerful live bands. You know. But was it um, challenging and, then for you to kind of be working with the likes of the Undertones and, and Buzzcocks and trying to get them gigs in, a, in an industry where they were getting sort of closed doors, as you say? 
Well, in the old industry, yes. In the the old school, the old venues, the old promoters, um, and I, when I say old, I don't mean old doesn't mean very old. I mean the old school. Yeah. The, the, the ones when I asked, you know, they were all poo-pooing the punks in a, in a, in a very bad, rude, laughing down their, looking down their noses at them kind of way. Um, but then equally, as I was mentioned earlier, part of the punk movement was, was a group of like-minded social secretaries. So where you may not even be able to get a town gig, you could also get the university uh, and, and college gigs around because, because the social secretaries were all of the same age and the same mind as the punks were. So that, that kind of scene helped the punk movement develop very, very quickly. And then what happened is the older promoters all gone, oh, these boys are selling tickets now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I suppose we better start to promote them and put them, in, you know, and then they all jumped on feet first and, and you know, uh, to, to get part of it. And again, the same thing in the early days. The record company certainly didn't want to know about it either. They were all like Stiff Records and Chiswick Records, Ted Carroll. They were the only ones who would put out punk records and, and the EMIs and the A&Ms and the BMGs. And they, they just didn't want to know about it, you know, again, until the undertones, you know, slipped in the charts with their own Terry Hooley's Teenage Kicks EP oh, and mean, the Buzzcocks with Spiral yeah. Scratch. Yeah, and all the record going to go. Ah, maybe we should be having a wee bit of this. You maybe know? we should. Is right now. You did something that was quite punk. I think this might have been before the time that you were managing uh, the Undertones. Tell me the story about um, Sharon Osbourne's dad, <laughs> that who wouldn't give you the money back after the Wizards were due to play. Yeah, no, and again, it was a, it was, um, you know, I, I'd booked, I'd built up a circuit of, of Irish universities uh, and colleges. And then in Belfast and in Dublin, we'd also do some town gigs. And one of the bands I'd booked for the circuit was um, was Wizard. Uh, and you know, again, it's the same it's the same approach today. Whenever you book a band, you have to pay a deposit to show willing or whatever yeah. to show that you've got money and, and to protect the band from going over to Ireland. So they'd they'd and again, you know, being the people that we that that they were, they they really didn't want to have anything less than a hundred percent. Normally it would be fifty percent and then they get the other fifty percent on the night or the day before, whatever. Anyway, they get a hundred percent and for whatever reason, I forget the reason, but they pulled out. They you know and okay. so again you typical know, they, rock star behaviour, yeah, 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 I get yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and and you know, there might have been valid reason, there might have been musical reason, you know, but it doesn't matter, you know, they're, they're not coming out. said. So I waited and waited and, and he said, you know, I said, Well can you send back the money? And they said, Yeah, 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 don't worry, and then I rang up. They hadn't sent the money back. So I kinda of rang up and said, Look, you, you know, you have to be fair, he's these are students, they, mm-hmm. they, they're not they're not rock and roll promoters. They don't have extended funds and they report to the administration of the colleges so they're going to get their, their funds blocked and so it means that the music going to stop you know yeah yeah don't worry yeah 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 and I didn't write so then I just did what people used to do in the show band days you just turn up and knock on the door you know uh, yeah. and they I said no he's too busy today I said well I'll sit and wait for him until he's ready and they weren't really very encouraging uh, and I just said look you know I've got to get the money back for, for students for the students um because we want to keep music coming in. It's taken a while because of the troubles to get music coming back into Ireland. Now we have it. We can't really afford a stop this like Madonna got. And anyway, so he eventually came out and he said, look, you know, because you had the bottle to come down here and eyeball me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll do you the check now. And he did and it cleared and passed and, and that was it. 
Fantastic, fantastic. I know we, we did name drop a couple of people, Paul, but I want to name drop a few more because, you know, I just mentioned a smattering of the musical greats that you've worked uh, with over your career. Get, come on, indulge us. Drop a few more names. Who would you have had big people now on the books? Uh, well, a van, obviously. Yeah. Uh, uh, Christy. Brilliant. Uh, Jack, Jackson Brown. Crosby, Stills and Nash. Uh, the Water Boys. Uh, the, the amazing um, Hot House Flowers, um, and then a lot of the blues people like mm. uh, uh, John Lee Hooker, Sonny Terry and Brian McGee, Taj Mahal, Buddy Guy, uh, people like that. And, and I, like I know you've you've got an affection for all of them, but is there one that just stands out that you just love working with? You know what? Actually, I, I'm sincere when I say this. All of the people I work with, I really loved working with, and that. But it goes a wee bit before that is that we've only ever taken on people that we really loved. And the reason being, my theory is, if you really love somebody, really get what they're doing, then you can do a much better job for them. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you have to, you have to have that connection. You really do. Oh, totally. And, yeah. and you know, like it's it's such a cutthroat business, Paul. I don't have to tell you that. And and you know, you've seen you know talented people probably drop by record labels, that kind of thing. What's the secret to staying at the top in this game? Like when you look at artists like Van Morrison there that you're saying, or even people like you two that are just like the number one band in the world. Like what what is the secret? Do you think? I think it's a wee bit of having the confidence in what you're doing, uh, having the self belief in how you're doing it. Uh, and also kind of protecting yourself in a way that you don't, you know, you don't uh, play the fiddle for the devil. Um, because as you just said earlier, that comes back to bite you and the mm. record company drops you or whatever. And you always kind of just, you always have to keep your integrity. Um, and you always have to keep to the band's, the band or the artist's principles. And if you stick by that, uh, and I say, and you, you know, you have confidence in what you're doing. I mean, too many people I, I have found over the years, they kind of go at the woe of the record label. No, there's not mm-hmm. enough singles in this album. And then they kind of, okay, w- what about these ones? No, they're too long. No, they're too short. No, they're too quiet. No, they're, you know. Uh, and, and so you, you can't make records or write songs by committee, I don't think. You have mm-hmm. to do what you do, and it either works out there uh, or it doesn't. And again, and again, it works in different ways. Like, it works in a different way f- for, you know, you two that it does for Lloyd and Wainwright. But Lloyd and Wainwright is equally successful in his terms because he is a writer of great songs and a performer of great songs. And that's the key to the success, I think, not how much money you work. Yeah. Not how much money you earn, not how much number of records you sell. It's more, you know, how pleased you are with your songwriting. Like, I work with a gentleman by the name of John Prine, uh, and, and he used to tell these great stories. One of his great stories was that he loved the thing of writing a song and, and he'd just written it and he would intentionally not play it to anybody for at least two weeks. And he said he just loved walking around knowing that he was the only person in the world that knew this new song. Brilliant. You know? And, and it's, it's, about, it's about the song, it's about the art, that's the yeah. important thing. All of the rest with the numbers, the figures, the statistics, the, the, the bank balance, whatever, really, really don't come into it. It's what you go home at night and you go, yeah, actually, that that was a great record, or that was a great concert we gave tonight. Yeah, that's so important. But uh, great advice for people to take on board. And and just before I I, I finish up, um, is there anyone, any artists around now, Paul, that you think will go far? That they maybe they're they're not just going to be one album and done kind of thing. 
Uh, yeah, I think there's a group, uh, an Irish group called 49th and Main. I don't know if you know of them. Yes. Um, uh, brilliant group. I've seen them live. We, we put them on the acoustic stage last year. Uh, and I just love the way they make their music. And I love the way the singer sometimes uses his voice not to deliver lyrics, but to deliver sounds inside the framework of the band. I think they, and and also that great thing that all the good bands like Coldplay yeah. and U2 have, they are a band, they're a unit of people, they're not going to split up, they're not going to whatever. And when you've got that unit, you know, that, that's a good thing. I think they're good. I also think a, a, a lady from Ireland called Lisa O'Neill, I think she's very, very good. Mm. Um, she she does, her, does her own thing uh, and, and does it very, very well. Um, no, there are certainly, you know, there always is, there's always new new things, great things coming through. Yeah, there really is. And 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 you're still going strong, Paul. You're at the heart of all of this. Adventures in Wonderland, the memoir. I mean, it's probably about uh, time that you wrote a memoir. You've got something like 20-something novels to your name. Uh, it's about time you did something like this. Uh, you know, it's out tomorrow. What do you hope people will, will get from it? I hope they'll enjoy this, the stories. I hope they enjoy um, being taken backstage, being taken, uh, you know, into the recording studio, being taken into hotels, being taken into, you know, people's lives. Because that's the kind of stories I like to read from people where you kind of, you're going uh, somewhere where you normally wouldn't go uh, and you're getting firsthand how how these great acts work and, and you know, what, what kind of, what the, what the plan was behind them getting to do what they're doing. Oh, I, and that's exactly what this will do and I love all of that I really do and there's loads of great stories everything from Robert Plant ironing his shirt to Van Morrison showing up at a wedding there's loads of amazing stories from these brilliant stars in there Paul it's been such a real pleasure chatting to you I could chat to you all day I really really could but thank you so much for taking the time out Thanks a million Sinead I enjoyed that Thanks so much Paul Charles it's called Adventures in Wonderland it's out tomorrow in all bookshops including Eason's in Drogheda Row River Books in Dundalk and Antonia's Bookstore in Trim and also Navin Bookshop as well so it's going to be in all bookshops and it's a real must for people who are fans of all music The 11 to 1 show Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.